Well, good morning, 10 o'clock. We doing all right? Everybody's good? Good, good, good. It seems like you guys are awake, so that's always fun and exciting. Uh, glad to be here with you. Um, a couple things before we get going. Uh, first, we're in week two of this brand new series, I Want to Know. And if you weren't here last week for whatever reason, I want to encourage you to go back uh, sometime this upcoming week and to listen to last Sunday's message. You can find it on our website, crosspointcity.com. Um, but last Sunday, we started this series by talking about the Bible and uh, how you and I can actually trust that the Bible is true. And uh, that's an important message because for the rest of this series, we're going to be teaching truths from the Bible. So um, I want you to go listen to that if you haven't already. And then secondly, don't forget that after every message of this series, we're going to post study resources on our Facebook page. So tomorrow, there's going to be more uh, study resources on our Facebook page so that you can keep growing, you can keep learning uh, because we're only able to dive in so deep to all these topics that we're going to co be covering each week. So uh, again, like I said last week, do your work outside of this place, all right, and, uh, and learn for yourself, okay? So let's do this. Let's grab our Bibles, or if you have a version app on your device, grab it. Go to John chapter 14 with me, John chapter 14. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys are like me, but I'm a big news reader. Uh, I'm not like an old school newspaper guy, but I love to get online and read the news, and I do it every day. I read everything from sports to politics, uh, money, I, I love reading about pop culture, and, and as an online news reader, one of the things that I love doing the most is scrolling to the bottom of the page and reading the comment section, and, and the reason I love that is because the comment section, it's always full of controversy. People are always on there fighting and arguing and, and posting opinions and then telling everybody else why their opinion is dumb and irrelevant and, and ridiculous, and, and to be honest, there's just something entertaining about that to me. I don't know what it is, but I find myself oftentimes reading the comments section uh, for a, a better amount of time than I actually took time to read the story. And I think some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to get sucked in by controversy, sucked in by drama, right? Some of you in the room, um, we all know you like to stir it up because we see your Facebook page, right? I have a feeling I'm going to lose some Facebook friends this afternoon. Like, oh, the pastor's reading my Facebook page. It's not good. Um, others of you, like me, you're kind of the type you like to sit back on the sidelines and, and watch it unfold. And, and we all know that's true because TV producers, they keep making stupid television, reality television, because people like us, we keep watching crazy shows like, like Real Housewives, The Kardashians, Honey Boo Boo. Some of us just got real convicted, didn't we? But they, they keep making it. If that's you, we're just going to keep praying that God would deliver you from your love of watching awful TV. But the truth, again, it's the same. Controversy has this way of, of sucking us in, of, of getting our adrenaline going, which is why I believe today's message is going to be one that, that should interest us all. No matter if we walked in the room today as a Christian or the biggest skeptic in the world, because the question we're setting out to answer today is probably the most controversial one of this entire series. Let me show you the question and I'll explain what I mean. Here's the question. I want to know if Christianity is right. We got a lot of questions submitted around um, this big question. I want to know if Christianity is right what about the other world religions? The most controversial claim of Christianity without question is this. That Christianity is right and everybody else is wrong. Right? 
I mean, that's controversial to say that there is one way to get to heaven, that there is one way to have a relationship with God, and that one way is Jesus, and that all other ways that claim to be ways aren't really ways, um, that they're wrong, and that only Jesus is right. That's a controversial statement. And a lot of times, that, that statement, that belief, it leaves the world looking at us as Christians, and they think of us as bigoted, narrow-minded, exclusive, judgmental, prideful people. And, uh, and listen, I'll be the first to stand on the stage and admit, if you're a skeptic in the room, I totally get where you're coming from. Like, I understand how in your seat, it sounds crazy prideful, crazy arrogant to say that we have a monopoly on the truth, on God, and that everybody else is wrong. But at the end of the day, here's the deal. Here's where the argument breaks down. You have to understand that we as Christians aren't just coming up with some opinion and saying, hey, this is what we think, and we think uh, this because, again, we've kind of all got together and decided this is what we want to believe, and, and everybody else should believe we're right. You see, the reason I don't think it's prideful and arrogant to say that, yes, Jesus is the only way to God, the only way to heaven, is because Jesus is actually the one who said that about himself, Right? Like, you understand that, that as I stand on stage today to answer this question, my job is actually really easy. All I'm going to do today is tell you what Jesus claimed to be true about him. Because Jesus in the scriptures, he said more than once, I- I'm the only way. I'm the way to God. Nobody can get to him unless they come through me. So my job is just to tell you about what Jesus said. And then your job is to ultimately decide for yourself if Jesus was actually telling the truth. Now, before we dive into the words of Jesus, here's what I want to do. I want to take time to talk about some of these other world religions that some of us had questions about. And I think it's important for us to do that for a couple reasons. One, um, because understanding some of the core beliefs of the other world religions are going to help us to really understand what is fundamentally different between Christianity and every other belief system in the world. And secondly, I think it's just good for us as believers to kind of know what other people are wrestling through and, and what other belief systems exist out there. So, so I picked five, five world religions for us to kind of touch on I'm not explaining these exhaustively by any means. So again, tomorrow, Facebook page, grab resources, get the books, get the articles, and study for yourself. But but I picked these five for two big reasons. Um, First, the top three, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam, these are three of the largest world religions that exist today outside of Christianity, and, uh, and all three are very present in our Western world. Now secondly, the other two, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, Um, These are what we would call cults. And the reason I say they're cults is is this, because these belief systems have taken Jesus, have taken the Bible, hijacked them, manipulated them, and turned them into something that they were never meant to be. And uh, and maybe you walked in the room today and you know people who are Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses, or, or maybe you are one. And again, in a few minutes, you'll hear the differences between what we believe and, and what you believe or what others that you know believe. So, so let me dive into some of these. Okay, first, Hinduism. At the core of Hinduism is this belief in, uh, in karma and in reincarnation. 
you guys probably are familiar with karma. You've heard it. Maybe some of you say it, right? Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Karma's going to come back and get me. You get it, right? Good people who do good things, uh, good things are going to come back to them. Bad people who do bad things, bad things are going to come back to them. That's the whole idea of, of karma. And for the Hindu people, since they believe in reincarnation, this whole idea of karma, it's a big deal. And here's why. Because they believe that if a person lives a good life in one life, that they're going to be reincarnated into a body of, of someone else in the next life, and the next life's going to be even better for them, right? So if, if I live a good life in this life, uh, my soul, it may be reincarnated in the body of, of someone in the next life who's maybe a prince, maybe a successful business owner. But if I live a bad life, right, karma's going to come back, it's going to bite me. Maybe in the next life I'm a slug or, or I'm a cockroach. And, and who wants to really be a slug or a cockroach, right? No, nobody. So, so there's a lot of motivation in the Hindu faith to work hard, to follow the rules, to be a particular type of person. And the ultimate goal for a Hindu person is to break that cycle of life, death, and rebirth so that eventually their soul can kind of go on and, and experience some type of eternal life somewhere else. And the ways that they do that are through the pursuit of knowledge, um, through uh, deep devotion to a particular god or deity, or just by working really, really, really hard and storing up enough karma over multiple lifetimes so that they can free themselves from being reborn again. Now, secondly, Buddhism. Buddhism is similar to Hindu, Hinduism um, in that Buddhists believe also in the idea of karma and reincarnation or rebirth. But the difference is this. Buddhists don't believe in one permanent soul like Hindus do. So Hindus believe I'm the same person in this life, the next, the next, the next. And uh, I studied Buddhism like crazy, and I still can't quite figure out what gets reborn because the Buddhists, again, they don't believe in a permanent soul and a permanent, permanent consciousness, but they do believe in karma and in rebirth. Now, the main goal in Buddhism, it's to reach a state of nirvana. And nirvana is not a place. Uh, again, it's just a state of existence in which a person completely eliminates all suffering from life. And the way that they eliminate all suffering in life is to eliminate all desire in life. You see, for the Buddhist, suffering, they say, is a result of desire. So in other words, um, maybe you're someone who wants something, you desire something you don't have, right? I, I want more money, I want a better job, uh, you know, I want to be in better shape. I don't know what it is, but you want something and you don't have it. And the Buddhists would say, well, well that results in suffering, or, or it might be vice versa, right? You have something that you don't desire. Well, cancer sucks, and I don't really want it, and now I'm suffering. Um, my marriage stinks, and I wish I had a different marriage, but I have this one, so, so now I'm suffering. And so the Buddhist, again, would say, if you can eliminate all passion, all desire, then you eliminate all suffering from life. And so their goal is to work really, really hard using what they call the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path. You can read about that on your own. So that over the course of several lifetimes, again, they can reach enlightenment. They can completely do away with desire, eliminate suffering, and reach this desired state of nirvana. Um, third, Islam. We hear about Islam all the time today. Um, Muslim culture, we hear about it in our culture, in our world all the time. Uh, this is actually the second largest world religion behind Christianity. It was started by a guy named Muhammad, and uh, Muhammad, he was a self-proclaimed prophet. 
He, uh, he claimed that he had direct revelation from Allah, the God of Islam, and that Allah actually came to him with very specific instruction to restore the original teachings of Allah back into the world because, according to Muhammad, the Jewish people and Christian people had actually corrupted what, what God or Allah originally wanted to communicate to people. So, so Muhammad... Um, he came and uh, he started declaring to people that Allah had given him these dreams, these visions, and uh, he convinced people to devote their whole life to what Muslims call the five pillars. It's this creed that says there is no other God but Allah and that Muhammad is his prophet. Uh, they're all about prayer. They're all about fasting, giving, giving to charity, but only after they've met their own needs. And, uh, and also a lot of them uh, devote time, attention, resources, energy to making it to the city of Mecca, which is their holy city. Now, when it comes to salvation, a Muslim person is saved through good works and good works alone. Meaning, if you believe in Islam you got to work really, really hard to get to paradise one day. You see, in their minds, Allah, he's this very distant, disconnected God. He's not very personal, and one day he's going to show up. He's going to blow up the world, and uh, it's only if your good works have outweighed your bad works that Allah will actually save you. But, but if your bad works outweigh your good works, man, you're in really, really big trouble. Um, last two, Mormonism. Mormonism, um, it's a faith that was started in the year 1830 by a guy named Joseph Smith. Uh, Joseph Smith claimed to have direct interaction and experiences with a messenger of God called Moroni. And apparently Moroni uh, kind of spoke to him and gave him a vision of two stone tablets that, that he then went and he found. Uh, they had ancient Egyptian writing on them. And then Joseph actually translated those writings, and those writings became the sacred text of the Mormon faith. Now, when you study the Mormon faith and their beliefs, you find some really interesting beliefs. And I'll give you some. Mormons believe that God was actually once a man, and that he actually progressed to being God, and that he now exists as God in a flesh and bone body. Even though all throughout the Bible, the Bible says God is spirit. Um, they also believe that Jesus, he's not the eternal son of God, but instead he's a created being. And they believe that originally Jesus was a created spirit, that he actually became divine in a spirit world, and that Jesus wasn't born into this world until God left heaven, came to earth, had sex with Mary, and she birthed Jesus. So according to the Mormon faith, there is no um, virgin birth. When it comes to salvation and eternity, again, they place a lot of emphasis on works, on being a good person, on, on following all the right rules. Uh, Mormons believe in three heavenly kingdoms, right? If you're a Mormon and you work really hard to obey all the right rules, then you get the best kingdom when your life is over. For the rest of us who may not be Mormons but we're still good people, they say we're going to get one of the other kingdoms. And if you're a really horrible, terrible person, they say, oh, you'll go to hell. But it's only the worst of the worst that go to hell, but it's all dependent on you. Um, lastly, Mormons, and this is really interesting, they actually believe that you and I can also ascend to being divine, to being a God one day. That you and I aren't going to show up in eternity and worship one God, but that you and I, through working really hard, we can become our own gods and earn the worship of others. It's really, really interesting. Um, and, and then lastly, Jehovah Witness. The Jehovah Witness movement, it was started in the 1870s by a guy named Charles Russell. Um, when this thing kind of got rolling, Charles Russell, he was still a teenager. 
He had no theological education, but he still thought it would be a good idea to become a pastor and to publish his own interpretation of the Bible. Now, like Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, um, they don't believe that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, but that instead he's a created being. They actually believe that, that God created Jesus originally as the archangel Michael. Even though, listen, even though the Bible teaches that Jesus created the angels and the angels actually worship him. They believe that when Jesus was born into this world, that he came just as a human man. There was nothing divine about him, that he wasn't the God-man that the Bible describes. Uh, when it comes to Jesus' resurrection, they don't believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead. They just believe there was a spiritual resurrection that took place. Now, again, when it comes to salvation and eternity, Jehovah Witnesses would say, believe what we believe and work really hard. Follow the right rules. Do all the stuff that, that our faith demands. And here's how eternity looks for the Jehovah Witness. You've probably heard at times about the 144,000, if you know anything about Jehovah Witnesses. Well, they believe that there are going to be two different groups that exist in eternity. 144,000 Jehovah Witnesses are going to be with God, ruling with him in heaven, while the rest of the Jehovah Witness believers will live in a paradise on a new earth. Now, I want to kind of turn a corner here, all right? And I kind of want us to start getting into what Jesus says about, about himself, but I want you to keep all the other beliefs that, that I just kind of went through in mind because when it comes to Jesus and, and his words, if you pay really close attention, you will find that there is one huge, core, fundamental difference between what Jesus claims about himself and what all these other religions claim to be true. Now, let's dive in. John 14. In this passage, Jesus is getting ready to die. And so he has his disciples together the night before his death, and he tells them, hey, tomorrow I'm, I'm leaving. He says, don't worry, um, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and get you. And then he says to his guys, you actually know the way to get to where I'm going. And Thomas, one of his disciples, Thomas the doubter, he, he speaks up and he says, Jesus, we don't even know where you're going, so how in the world do we know the way to get there? And that's when Jesus makes one of the most controversial claims in the entire Bible. And this is where we as Christians um, base this controversial statement about Jesus being the way to God. He says in John 14, 6, I I'm the way. Thomas, you, you want to know the way to get to where I'm going? I'm going to God. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to prepare a place. And Thomas, if you want to know how to get there, bro, I'm the way. I'm the way. He said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And listen, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I want us to understand this verse fully. So we're going to take a few minutes. We're going to break it down. Again, if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this stuff down. Um, first, Jesus calls himself the way. That word way in this passage in the original Greek language of the New Testament, it just means road or path. And what Jesus is saying to his guys here and what he's saying to us is, that he is the one pathway, the one road that actually leads to God, where he is, and that leads to a relationship with him. This is so important for us to understand because one of the things we constantly hear in our world today is that there are all kind of paths that lead to God, right? And it doesn't really matter which path or which road you're on, 
I mean, you can be Muslim, you can be Buddhist, you can be Hindu, Mormon, Jehovah Witness, whatever it is, just pick your path, get on it, and be sincere about it. And as long as you're sincere, as long as you're devoted, that at the end of the day, you can feel confident about your relationship with God, about eternity, about suffering, not being a part of your life one day. But in this passage, Jesus is communicating something very different. What he doesn't do is this. He doesn't sit his guys down and say, well, I'm, I'm glad you asked about the way. Well, just so you guys know, I'm, I'm just one way to get to where I'm going. There's a lot of other ways. Actually, I, I made a list, and, and I'm going to leave this list with you guys so that after I leave, you can kind of pick your path, whatever one you like most, study up, read up, whatever sounds most interesting to you. Just choose one because all the paths lead to the same place. But hey, if you want to choose my path, that'd be awesome. I'd love to have you. That's not what Jesus says. Instead, again, he looks at his guys and he goes, if you want to understand the way to God, you're looking at him. I'm it. There is no other way to have a relationship with the God who created you. There is no other way to get to heaven where God is. If you want to get to where I'm going, you have to go through me. And then next, Jesus calls himself the truth calls himself the truth. In, in John chapter 1, the disciple John, he writes about Jesus' existence before he ever entered this world, and he does so in a really interesting way, using some very interesting language. I want you to look at this. John 1, 1 through 2, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, again, for those that are Mormons, for those that are Jehovah Witnesses, it's hard to read this verse and to still believe what they believe. Because what John does here is he blows up this idea that Jesus was any type of created being, that Jesus isn't God. I mean, look at it. In the beginning was, was the Word. This is the Word he's choosing to use for Jesus. And he's saying what? The Word was with God, so he's always been with God. And the Word was God. Jesus is God. He was in the beginning with God. It's hard to read that. And to still believe that Jesus wasn't God and that he came later. But, but this word, word, it's really interesting. When you read this again in the original Greek language of the New Testament, you find that it's the word logos, which means divine self-expression or speech. And what John is simply telling us in this passage is that Jesus is the divine self-expression of God in this world. That God, the universe, wanted all of you and I to know exactly what he was like, what was true about him, his character, how he felt about people. And so you know what he did? He sent his son Jesus into the world to show us what he's like. That's what John's saying, and that's what Jesus is saying about himself in John 14, 6. He's saying, guys, I'm the truth about God. If you want to know what God is like, all you have to do is look at me. That's why in John 14, 6, and I encourage you to keep reading this passage this week on your own. This is why Jesus gets frustrated in this passage with one of his disciples, Philip. Philip looks at Jesus in verse 8, and he says, Jesus, um, show us the Father. What he's saying is, Jesus, we want to see what God's like. Man, can you just like pull some magic and do a God appearance right here on the spot? We want to see him. And Jesus, I mean, I can imagine, he's just dumbfounded, and he looks at Philip. He's going, are you kidding me, man? How in the world can you say, show us the Father? He's going, bro, I've been with you this whole time, and you still don't recognize me for who I am. Philip, if you want to see the Father, look at me. Just look at me. 
If you want to see what God is like, open your eyes and look at me. I'm standing right in front of you, man. You see, this is what we have to decide about Jesus. Is he telling the truth when he calls himself the one truth about the one God of all of creation? And again, it's important for us to understand what Jesus is saying so we can make a decision especially in a world where so many people just kind of make up their own ideas about God as they go. Jesus, you have to understand, he doesn't give us that option. He claims to have a monopoly on the truth about God in saying that he's the only truth about God that exists. And then lastly, what does Jesus say? Well, he calls himself the life. He calls himself the life. Um, if you go back to John 1, Verses three through four, John kind of unpacks this idea in this passage. He goes on to say, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Uh, John points to two big truths concerning Jesus in this passage. One, that Jesus is the source and giver and creator of all physical life. I think a lot of times when we think of creation, we only think God the Father, but John's going, nope, Jesus had a big hand in it. There's nothing in existence that was not made without him. He created all the things, all life, all of, of everything in existence. It, it happened through him, implying, again, that what, Jesus, he's not created, he is creator, um, he also says that not only is he the giver and source of physical life, but he is the giver and source of spiritual life. This is what he means when he says that in him was life, and life was the light of men, that when Jesus came to the earth, he brought with him spiritual life, new life, eternal life, that all of us are desperately in need of. And when Jesus, back in John 14, 6, again, calls himself life, the life, that's what he's reminding us of. But man, if you want to know new life here on the earth, like if you're sick of getting out of bed and living as the same person every single day, and you want hope, and you need change, and you need things to be different, Jesus is the only one that can give that kind of life to you. That if you want to be sure of eternal life one day, if you want to know without a shadow of a doubt that when your life ends here on the earth, that you will leave this earth and go into the very presence of God in heaven and live there for all of eternity, Jesus is saying, I'm it. I am the only one that can give you that kind of life. Now listen, I could spend all day highlighting tons and tons of differences between Christianity and all the other world religions, including the five I just mentioned. But when it's all said and done, there is one core foundational truth that separates Christianity from every other belief system in the world. And, and it's found in the words of Jesus that we just read. And if you're writing it down, or if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's the difference. Christianity tells us, declares to us, that Jesus saves. That Jesus saves and he alone saves. That he's the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to God except through him and every other belief system in the world. And again, you don't have to believe me. Study it for yourself and see if I'm lying. But I'm telling you, every other belief system in the world tells us, no, 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 you got to save yourself. you got to save yourself. You see, while all other religions are screaming at us, do better, follow the rules, be this kind of person, good house to outweigh the bad, save yourself, Christianity's saying to us, you can't save yourself. 
Follow the rules. Go to church every Sunday. Be nice to people. Pray all you want. Fast. Give your money. It doesn't matter. You're a sinful person who needs a Savior, and that Savior you need is Jesus. Only he can save you. That's what Christianity declares. Listen to me. If you try to save yourself, you know what you say? I don't need Jesus. And that's what all other religions teach. You don't need Jesus. Why do you need Jesus when you have yourself? Why would you need Jesus when you can just work really hard to make your way to God? Well, again, what Christianity reminds us is you and I, we can't make our way to God. But the beautiful news is this. We have a God who loves us so much that he actually made his way to us. Jesus saves. We can't save ourselves. And you've got to make a choice. Do I want to trust in me or do I want to trust in him? Now, why in the world should you believe all this? Why should any of us believe the claims of Christianity? Um, How can we know for sure that Jesus wasn't just another crazy man showing up on the earth, claiming to know the truth, um, but he's no different than Buddha, Muhammad, Charles Russell, Joseph Smith? How can we know that? Well, I'm not going to go back and re-preach my Easter message from a few weeks ago. Uh, If you weren't here on Easter, I'd encourage you to go back, listen to that message. Uh, In that message, we made a case for the reality and truth of the resurrection of Jesus. But, but here's the answer to the question. It's really simple. How can we know that Jesus was telling the truth about who he was? Well, a couple things. One, he came to the earth and he lived a perfect, sinless life, unlike you and me, to show us who God is. And if that wasn't impressive enough, at the end of his life, he died, spent three days in a tomb, And he came back from the dead to prove that everything he said about himself was true. Now listen, let me ask you this question. What have any of the other religious leaders in the world done to prove what they were saying and teaching and claiming was true? I mean, the answer is nothing. I mean, we could argue about it, but at the end of the day, these men were all imperfect men who simply claim to have nothing more than some kind of divine experience or revelation, and then they somehow convinced a bunch of people to believe what they were selling. And at the end of their lives, guess what happened? They died and they stayed dead. And you and I can go to many other graves today and visit their lifeless dead bodies in the ground as proof of what I'm saying. But you see, with Jesus, it's different. Jesus gave us the ultimate proof that what he claimed about himself was true when he came back from the dead just like he said he would. And listen, I don't know about you, but if a guy dies on Friday and comes back to life on Sunday, it might be a good idea for us to listen to what he's saying about himself, right? And here's what you have to decide. Am I going to try to save myself through trying to be some particular type of person Or am I going to trust in the guy who died and rose from the dead as the one who can get me to God, the one who is true and shows me what's true about God, and the one who can ultimately give me life by proving to me that he's stronger than death? You see, that's the decision that all of us in the room have to make. And as we get ready to close, I'm going to give you practical thoughts. Okay, first off, for those of us in the room who've never made a decision on Jesus, you have to understand that because of what Jesus claimed to be true of himself, there is no room for neutrality concerning Jesus. And here's what I mean. Because Jesus claimed to be God, claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, that nobody could get to heaven or come into a relationship with God except through him, 
You have to decide if he was telling the truth. There are two choices concerning Jesus. We accept that he's telling the truth or we deny him. We accept him, we reject him. But, but to not make a decision on Jesus, that's actually making a decision to deny Jesus. And you have to understand, you can't even sit here and say, well, I'm just going to believe that Jesus was a good man, a moral teacher. That's not a possibility. Because if Jesus wasn't God, he wasn't any of those things. He was a liar. He was a con man. He was a lunatic. And why would you want to give your life to a guy like that? So either Jesus is all that he said he was, or he's not. And man, I, I want to give you a deci- or, or the opportunity to make a hard and fast decision concerning Jesus today before you leave if you've never done that. We can't stay neutral on him. Now, the second practical thought. For those of us in the room who say we know Jesus, who would sit in this room and say, I believe he's the way, the truth, and the life. I believe it rose from the dead. Nobody comes to God except through him. He's our hope in this life and in the next. Here's the question I have. Man, are you getting out of bed every day and loving people and serving people and sharing Jesus with people in a way that proves what you say about him is true? Church, talk is cheap, right? We can come into this building all we want and sing songs and raise hands and give our money and take communion and listen to a guy like me teach. But if we don't run out into this dark world after the hour we have together on Sunday, back into our neighborhoods, to our ball fields, to our our place of work, to our schools, if we don't run to those places and name Jesus to those who desperately need him as the way to God, then what are we doing with our lives? I mean, if we really believe as Christians that people will die and go to hell if they don't know Jesus as their Savior, and we're not telling them that, we're not loving them well. I mean, you understand the most unloving thing we can do for a person who doesn't know Jesus is keep our mouths shut concerning who he is, right? So I'm just saying, man, do you believe it? Are you living it out? How's that truth about who Jesus is affecting the way that you love and serve and give and share with people every day of your life? I mean, are you on your knees begging people for the hearts and souls of lost people that you know that God would save them and change them forever? If not, again, I would just say, man, you, you really believe what you say you believe about Jesus? Church, let's just not be the church that plays church. I don't know about you, I didn't sign up to come to Cartersville and pastor this church just to hold services and to play games. I came to Cartersville to pastor this church so that we could mobilize a people to go reach a city, a community, a state, a nation, a world. And we can sit around and talk about who we believe Jesus to be, we can get out there and do something and prove what we say is true. And I pray, again, like me, you don't want to just play church, you want to be the church. I want us to pray together right now and ask God to give us that passion and to help us to believe what we really say we believe so that it would forever change our lives. Will you join me in prayer? God, I'm just praying in the next few moments, God, that your spirit would just move in power in this place. God, for the people that walked in this room today, God, who've never made a decision on Jesus, God, I'm praying right now in this moment that you just meet them right where they are, in their seat. God, that you'd reveal yourself to them. God, overwhelm them with your grace, with your love, with your mercy.
God, remind them that it's not their job to save themselves. That's Jesus' job. And I pray that right now in this moment you give them faith, faith they need to trust in Jesus as their Savior. Listen, if you are that person who walked in the room today, maybe, maybe you walked in as a skeptic, um, maybe you walked in here just kind of toying with the idea of Jesus. Something's going on inside you right now, inside your heart, and you know that you can't walk out of here without making a decision. If you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time in your life today as the way, the truth, the life, the one who can, can get you to where God is, the one who can, can bridge the gap between where you are and where God is even in this life. And I want to help you do that right now. There's nothing magical about this prayer I'm going to lead you through. Prayers don't save people. Jesus saves people. But you can just say something like this as your confession to God. God, I believe Jesus is the way to you. I believe Jesus came to this earth as the truth about who you are. I believe that Jesus is the one who can give me new life and eternal life with you forever. And so, God, I'm saying yes to him. God, would you forgive me of my sin? I don't I want to keep living the same life I've always lived. God, I want to live the life that you created me to live, that you have for me. And so, God, would you just take me and change me and use me in a way, God, that I've never been used before. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for Jesus. But if you said yes to Jesus before you leave, man, I want to give you some free resources. I'm going to encourage you again at the end of this time together not to walk out of this room until you've got these resources that are going to help you to take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. So just know that's coming. But God, for the rest of us, God, would you just just keep us uncomfortable? God, don't let us ever slip into this mindset of believing, God, that, that what we do here on Sundays, that's just what church is all about. God, this is important, and we need this. God, but don't let what we do as the church stop here with this experience. God, help our belief in Jesus and our love for him, God, to live far beyond these walls. Father God, give us a passion for lost people. Give us a heart to serve and to give and to go and to share and to love those people who are so far from you. God, again, we don't want to be that church that plays church. We actually want to be the church. So God, would you give us all that we need to be the church to our city, to our community, to our world. God, we're trusting you for that. God, we love you so much. And we thank you, God, that we can love you because you first loved us. God, we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.